Hello and welcome to Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast with me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist. Coming up, former Foreign Office Minister Tobias Elwood says we could be opening the door to Big Brother if the government lets Chinese tech giant Huawei update our broadband network. Huawei is funded by the state, by China. It is used by China to monitor its own people, and that's embedded in the Huawei capability. The concern that we have here, then, is could China then monitor us? Senior Tory MP and ex-army man James Gray says Boris Johnson will face a revolt if he rats on a promise not to prosecute army veterans over so-called historic crimes committed during the Northern Ireland Troubles. The House of Commons, but also the country at large, will not put up with our soldiers being prosecuted in this way. These were brave people who did their duty. We find that because of the small print in the, in the Stormont House Agreement, suddenly two or three hundred people are being prosecuted for something they did under orders The nation, I think, would rise up against it. And ex-health minister Dr Dan Poulter, MP, talks about his work as an NHS psychiatrist and calls for legislation to govern how gambling companies target sports fans. It's time for a much more rigid, um, a much more aggressive approach, I think, from government to looking at um, uh, advertising uh, of gambling um, because I'm not sure we can entirely trust uh, sport and perhaps even the football sector to do that themselves. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify or leave us a review and email us at any time at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk This week the Brexit countdown is on everyone's mind but we all seem to be talking about Big Ben's bongs. It's a wonderfully evocative sound, isn't it? I can hear spitfires. I can smell the roast beef. A couple of lines of Shakespeare come to mind. But Amanda, is it really worth... Poor old Big Ben is under scaffolding. Is it really worth spending £500,000 for a few bongs to um, to mark Brexit on January the 31st? Mm, don't be a killjoy, Simon. I mean, it's it's a historic day, especially for half the country that voted to leave. And I just think it would be wonderful. It would sound out over the water, over the Thames, all the parties, everyone celebrating. And look, there's a great solution that people, they're doing crowdfunding to actually raise money. And so the government does have to to pay for it all. I think the government should meet us halfway and we'll raise a quarter of a million quid. And I want to hear Big Ben bonging on Brexit night. Congratulations for saying all those words <laughs> beginning with B. I'm not so sure. I, 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 I think actually that we've taken the decision over Brexit. If we really want to bring both sides together, isn't it better just to do it rather calmly? Isn't it a more British way to be a bit more understated and, and, and to go ahead with it? And I, I really don't think it's such a big deal. I, I don't feel the need for street parties and spam fritters and all that. Well, I they're going to be happening. And it's just such a wonderful sound. I mean, just magical. So I want to hear it. Boris finally broke cover this week after his time in Mustique. But my eyes were definitely on his socks. Were yours, Amanda? Whose weren't? I mean, first of all, you have that horrible little flash of um, very white, um, hairless leg. And then the socks were rolled all the way, almost all the way down to his shoes. Mm. And, and it seemed as though one he'd managed to pull up as he dragged himself out of bed. And the other one was, well, no idea where it is. 
I think Carrie's going to have to start dressing him before he goes to work every morning. But on, on maybe the... it's because she's too busy undressing him. That's the problem. Ooh, well, um, but on the more serious subject of his interview, I, I thought it's fascinating because in his breakfast TV interview. He was asked by the interviewer about the social care plans and they fudged this big time in the manifesto because of what happened to Theresa May and the dementia tax in they 2017. Did, yeah. And I, I don't see any signs that they're really getting to grips with this because whatever solution they come up with, it's going to be many, many billions of pounds and people are going to have to pay. And I think this is going to be a really tricky one for him to solve. This is a potentially massive change in uh, the way we fund social care. There are lots of quite important moral and social issues contained in, in it. You know, should taxpayers be paying for people who might be able to afford things? What is the relationship between families that you want to encourage? Should families be looking after their, old, their, their elderly relatives? To what ex- you know, all these are very complex questions, but we mu- the key thing is that everybody must have dignity and security in their old age. Nobody should sell their home to pay for the cost of their care. And we we will do that. It's going to hurt no matter what the solution is. It's either going to hurt homeowners um, who are going to have to inevitably sell their own homes or it's going to hurt the whole of the taxpaying population because it's got to be funded somehow. It can't go on like this, but the latest word is they're going to look at it again in a year's time. Mm, This this is going to be a big test for this government about whether Boris can really tackle these really deep-seated problems. Labour's leadership battle entered a new phase this week. Who are you betting on, Amanda? Emily Thornbury. No. I love her. You don't. I do. I totally love her. What about I, her white van man insult, oh, that look, tweet she did? She didn't... It, it was It was a stupid thing to do. Mm. I mean, she was brought up in a council estate. You know, she's got no apologies to make to her working class roots. It was an incautious thing to do. I love the fact she describes herself as a tough old bird. She's brilliant at PMQs when she's to stand in for Jeremy Corbyn. And I think that she would really give Boris a run for his money. I think he, she would get under his skin. Yeah. I mean, it, it's striking that four, four of the five candidates in, in, the, in the final run are women. Well, you've got Keir Starmer, the man. Rebecca Long-Bailey, the Corbyn Easter. Lisa Nandy, I'll come to her. Jess Phillips, larger than life. And Emily Thornbury. Now, I, I'd go for Lisa Nandy. After what was a shattering, devastating electoral defeat in which we lost good friends and colleagues who deserved so much better and in which people around the country lost good Labour MPs and they deserved so much better. I say to you, despite all of that, that now is not the time to steady the ship and play it safe. Because if we do not change course as a Labour movement, we will die and we will deserve to. The path back to power for the Labour Party will be built right across that red bridge that stretches from our major metropolitan cities, through our suburbs and into our smaller towns and villages as well. Well, I I think that's pretty damn impressive. And what I like about it is the brutal honesty that if Labour doesn't change course dramatically, then it's going to die. And she's right. I think the Labour Party is in danger of dying out totally. I just like the frankness and the there's a sort of frankness and warmth and honesty in her words, which contrast, I think, starkly with the really dreary, loyally tone of Keir Starmer. I find Emily Thornbury a bit too cut glass. I like this. I like Lisa Nandy. Um, look, she's great. She's young. She's inexperienced. Up against Boris, it would be like killing kittens. She's not the right person to lead the party now. I, I'm, my money is on Emily. 
you know, she's got the experience. They need an interim leader. Um, and Keir Starmer is just, he, he's just so boring. I mean, just so, so stultifyingly dull. Well, I'll tell you what, there's one thing won't be happening. Boris will not be killing any kittens because he'd get into shocking trouble with Carrie Sim, his girlfriend, who's very hot on animal rights. I'm an animal lover too. I just hope my cat Ted isn't listening. Boris Johnson will shortly have to make his first big decision since the election. Whether to go ahead with a multi-billion pound deal allowing Chinese tech giant Huawei to update Britain's creaking broadband network. Donald Trump says the Prime Minister must call it off. And he's threatened to withdraw security cooperation if he doesn't. Former Foreign Office Minister Tobias Elwood says Donald Trump is right. And he says the Chinese could use this system to spy on us in our homes. China is on the rise. In the next decade, it is likely to become more powerful militarily, economically and technologically larger than the United States. And they are setting their own rules. So the question about Huawei isn't just about Huawei, but it highlights what our future relationship should be with China. So you've got the security issues there. Have they been resolved? And then, of course, you've got access too. whether it be Huawei, Tencent, Alibaba, China Mobile, they can all operate with openness uh, in the, the West, but our companies such as Amazon, Facebook and so forth, Apple, are not allowed to operate in China. So a lot of questions here which make me think, no, we should not be opening our doors up to Huawei. But how great is the security threat? That's that's what the Americans are saying, that if we, if we open up Huawei, then in effect it means that Chinese intelligence can spy on us. Is that true? Well, Huawei is funded by the state, by China. It is used by China to monitor its own people, and that's embedded in the Huawei capability. The concern that we have here then is could China then monitor us, or are there the necessary checks in place to prevent that from happening? But do you think then that in in the same way that the the Chinese government in a rather sinister way monitor their own population, are you saying that the Chinese government in effect, if we have Huawei, would know more about the British population than the British government. The worry is, is that 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 could be the case. The answer is, I don't know. Now, if I can't give a definitive answer to that, surely the the overall approach must be no until we can give a definitive answer. But at at the moment, it looks like the government is, is shaping up to go ahead with the Huawei deal. Do you believe that the Americans really would withdraw security cooperation with us if we do that? Well, we firstly recognize that the United States is our most uh, important and closest ally for security reasons, but also the standards and values that we actually uphold. We must listen to them very, very carefully indeed. It's not just the United States. Australia as well, far closer to what's going on. Yeah, the Australians have actually shut the door on on, Huawei. It had nothing to do with it. And actually... It seems that they haven't paid a price for it. The Chinese haven't punished them. And you make such an important point because perhaps there's a concern that we will turn away potential trade with China if we then say no to to Huawei. What we're actually saying is our capability in the UK isn't as good as Huawei, so there's different reasons for that. We need to catch up. But also there are security issues which have not been resolved. The Americans are very worried about that. They've got a team, I think, in the UK right now, and we should definitely listen to them. The the Defence Secretary... Ben Wallace uh, was quite outspoken and, and said that the Americans have been very aggressive towards us over Huawei and that we've got to be ready to fight wars on our own. Do, do you go along with that? I'm very worried that we are seeing more threats, more complicated, more diverse. 
we are in a more dangerous period than ever since then from the Cold War, and it's going to get worse. We do need to work together. So where I'd share Ben Wallace's concerns is the fact that we've seen the United States pull out of Syria and leaving a vacuum there as well. I absolutely believe we need to stay close to the United States. We need to do better to nurture that special relationship that started in, in the Second World War. We've not done enough of that. Uh, climate change and China are the two biggest things that will fundamentally alter the way we see life. If the West doesn't group together in understanding what values and standards we support, I'm afraid China will just overlap and overtake and rewrite those rules. So in this instance, Donald Trump is right. We've got to listen to him and we've got to side with America and Trump and say no to Huawei. You mentioned Australia. They stood up to China from a telecoms perspective. It didn't affect the rest of their trade. And I think we need to be more emboldened about that to say we will do business with you but we need to agree what the international rules are. At the moment, they are being ignored in the South China Sea. We see them advancing their territorial claims. We see them growing militarily as well. Uh, their navy is growing the size of ours every single year. And of course, from a technological perspective, they are going in leaps and bounds. Their space program as well dwarfs the rest of the world minus the United States. Things are on the change. China is taking advantage of everybody being distracted. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. Well, Amanda, your native country, Australia, mm. has slammed the door in the face of the Chinese. Should should we Brits do the same? The thing is, I, uh, Australians are, are not paranoid about these things. They will just go with whatever is the practical, most practical deal. That's why I'm thinking if Australia thinks it's a, it's a problem, Huawei, no Huawei. If Trump does... You know, my my, I'm afraid that I'm I'm inclined to believe them, and at the moment I feel rather uncomfortable about the level of technological intrusion into our lives already. You know, we're told I got a new TV set, and I'm told it can be taking pictures of me. You know, it's just it's it's quite it's getting to the point where, of, it's getting frightening, and to all of the countries that I'd want to tr put my trust in, China would be up there with Russia. Well, I thought one of the things that Tobias Edwards said that was fascinating was that. He said that Huawei in China is used in this in this kind of big brother system they have of monitoring their own population where they, they people who don't follow the government rules uh, and exhibit antisocial behavior. But they collect all their data, they don't do. they? And, and, you know? yeah, and you, you can be kind of punished from, from access to jobs, gyms, e even even speeding fines. And I, and I know the kind of cars you drive, Amanda. You'd be, <laughs> you'd be top of the hit list. But oh, I think that, that, that's a creepy thing. And uh, Tobias said, if, if we went ahead with this system, you could be in a position where the Chinese government knows more about... The British people and their habits and what they're doing than the British government. And they'd be targeting us with advertising all the time. You know, they're, I just think the whole thing is just quite frightening when, especially, you know, that they can, they deliver the masks. It's a lot to do with the, the masks for the mobile signals. Um, and they can deliver the masks sealed and they can just whack little cameras in. That's what they, they do to their own people. But this this is the, the other aspect. And we've got this. no guarantee what it is that, uh, that our government would do to make sure that didn't happen. The other aspect is that this is a big test of Boris Johnson's relationship with Donald Trump because a lot of people have said that Boris will be Trump's poodle. And this is an example where at the moment it looks to me like they're shaping up to go ahead with the Huawei scheme and to use this as an example of where Boris can show that he is prepared to stand up to Donald Trump when he, when he wants to. Couldn't he just think of a better case that doesn't jeopardise our national security? Boris Johnson posed for photographs in Belfast this week to celebrate a new power-sharing deal in Northern Ireland. 
It means the Northern Ireland Assembly can open its doors again after being shut down for three years. But it's led to concerns amongst some that the price he's paid includes allowing the prosecution of up to 200 British troops accused of crimes in the province during the troubles of the 1970s to go ahead. Conservative MP James Gray, who runs Parliament's Armed Forces Group, fires his own warning shot to the Prime Minister. Well, to be clear, if modest, I, I wore our uniform for seven years, but it was an extremely undistinguished military career. But yes, I had a great many of my friends uh, served in Northern Ireland, several of the House of Commons, Colonel Bob Stewart, who served two or three tours in Northern Ireland, Ian Duncan Smith served in Northern Ireland, quite a few others did too, and a great many of my friends were, were young officers at the time. And they acted certainly within what they believed to be the law. They acted within what they believed to be their, their instructions from on high were. They took every possible precaution. And, my, you know, my goodness, they would not have shot somebody unless they absolutely had to. But in a split-second decision, it just might be that one or other of them did. Uh, and now the notion that somehow or another that uh, decision, which they took uh, under orders and under very carefully controlled conditions, would somehow land them in prison or land them in court many, many years later, is an outrage. Dear old boy, he's 78-year-old, he's a former para from Bloody Sunday. He's been on his last legs. I think he's got all sorts of uh, problems with his health. And here he is being prosecuted for, for an action she took, which he believed to be perfectly within the law all those years ago. I just think that's wrong. And I think it undermines our armed services. I think if, 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 if a young soldier thinks he might be fingered uh, by, by the police 50 years' time, He's going to not take that shot, and he or his mates will, for that reason, therefore uh, perhaps lose their lives as a result of that decision-making. We mustn't allow the courts to interfere with military decision-making. Do you think it would be a betrayal of those 200 servicemen? Yes, I, I, I think betrayal is a good, good term, Simon. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they did what they had to do. They did it under order. They did it in uniform. They did the best they could possibly do. They believed they were doing the right thing. And if they were now to be prosecuted, they would indeed be being betrayed, which is why people like me are ready to say perfectly straightforwardly uh, to the Prime Minister and to the government, we won't put up with it and don't go down this particular track. And, and, and would you rebel against it? I assume there'd have to be a vote on this on the Commons. Would you vote? Do you and other Conservative MPs vote against this if it came to it? Oh, for sure. There's no question on that at all. I, absolutely, I'd vote strongly against it. It'd be absolutely outrageous if it was. It might not have to go to a vote, because it might not be a matter for a vote of the House of Commons. But I think we need to make plain to those in the Ministry of Defence and in Number 10 Downing Street and elsewhere uh, that they mustn't do this. There's a very significant part of the Conservative Party, a very large part of the Labour Party, who will be totally and utterly opposed uh, to it. I'm, I'm an old soldier. I've been in this place for 25 years. I don't rebel very much. I'm a pretty, pretty loyal sort of bloke. But I tell you, if this thing comes up and if we try and prosecute up to two or 300 of our old soldiers in the way uh, that might be the case... I, for one, will be absolutely ready to rebel against my own party on the matter. Well, Amanda, I, I thought we'd figure that Conservative revolts were a thing of the past now that Boris had an 80-seat uh, majority in the Commons. But apparently, you know, I mean, James Gray is, is, is as loyal as they come. And there are strong feelings about this. How do you stand on this? There are incredibly strong feelings across the board. Boris gave his word that he would stop these, this historic persecution. Prosecution? Uh, per persecution. <laughs> I, I use Possibly. the word persecution yeah. of the troops. And it's not just the ones that are actually um, in the process of being charged. Um, it's all the others who are waiting for that knock on the door. When you make a pro promise to the British 
soldiers, you make a promise to the British people. And Boris, this will be lose him so much support if he goes back on this. But it's another example, isn't it? You you can make promises, uh, um, you know, in an election campaign, and then w- when when the reality hits home, you've got to. Do it. It's difficult because the on- the only reason they've got the Northern Ireland Assembly up and running again is because they've managed to get the two sides, Sinn Fein and the Unionists, to work together. And the reality is, Sinn Fein are not going to let that function properly unless they get something on the prosecution of somebody there's going to have to be some arrangement and how do you think that most british people listening to to that argument would feel that they're that we're sending our troops you know into these kangaroo courts or to appease Sinn Féin I mean please well I think it's one of the, it's one of the examples where there is a kind of divide between Northern Ireland. Okay, British people, yes, the British mainland, it's clear what their view would be. But Northern Ireland is part of Britain, and in Northern Ireland, that community is divided 50 50, and you've got to take into account the, the views of that, that, that community. Foreign Minister after Foreign Minister and Home Minister after Home Minister on both sides have guaranteed that they would stop this historic. Uh, prosecution of our troops. It's time that someone with a huge majority like Boris just kept their damn word. The Football Association was criticised over a deal with gambling company Bet365, which meant football fans had to open an account with them to watch live FA Cup matches. The disclosure in a Daily Mail investigation came after a video by Prince William on mental health problems was shown at football grounds. Dr Dan Poulter is a Tory MP and part-time NHS psychiatrist who has experience of the misery caused by football gambling. He says football gambling ads should be banned. Undoubtedly, any form of addiction is devastating for people's lives uh, and also for their families as well. And you know, I've looked after a number of patients who have uh, had their lives uh, destroyed by addiction to gambling, and it's been quite insidious initially something that may have seemed initially innocuous or a little bit exciting becomes a habit people often then start chasing after recovering debts that they've made through gambling and then can sometimes lose their houses and the impact that that can have on people's relationships the impact that that sort of debt and pressure can have their mental health is extraordinary there's one or two people who've who've got into gambling and mental health troubles through through football gambling can you can you tell us about one of the cases you've dealt with yeah, that's right. I, mean, I remember uh, it was in uh, a gentleman from uh, South London. He had a had a young family, and he had initially got into gambling. But he went regularly to watch football um, on Saturday with his friends. He um, thought it would be okay to start gambling, and then I think he found uh, over time that that began to spiral out of control. He um, hid many of the debts um, that were linked to that gambling from his family, and uh, eventually, as his house came to be repossessed and his life started breaking down, so he ended up being divorced and not spending time with his children and having to rebuild the whole of his life and even you know three or four years later he still had uh, a debt uh, of over 30,000 to his name so it absolutely uh, ruined his life um, but also um, left him with um, some quite difficult uh, interpersonal issues and long-standing mental health challenges um, that were linked to those. What do you make of the way that that betting companies target young men and and football fans do do, do you think that should be stopped I mean, I think it's highly irresponsible because um, it's a very 
quick slippery slope um, for some people to go from uh, what appears to be in inverted commas a free bet uh, some some of these firms appear to, to market themselves uh, and betting as part of the process of going to watch a football match um, on television or in public that's the approach the betting firms take to try and make it appear very socially acceptable perhaps a bit exciting um, and that's incredibly irresponsible and do you think there's a case for having a controls or a ban on this form of advertising in the same way that tobacco advertising has been banned and advertising for junk foods has been restricted? Very much so. I think we look very often to um, football in particular, but to all sports to have a, a responsible attitude to supporting their spectators. Uh, and uh, that's very much been the case with physical health, with banning uh, tobacco advertising. But when we know that uh, addiction to gambling is intrinsically linked to uh, poor mental health, uh, and uh, often uh, people can have their whole their lives devastated by that it's it's time for a, a much more rigid um, a much more aggressive approach i think from a government to looking at um, uh, advertising uh, of gambling um, because i'm not sure we can entirely trust sport and perhaps even the football sector to do that themselves i must just say first amanda don't you think it's quite a, a remarkable dan Poulter, he's a member of parliament he spends a couple of mornings a week going across the road to the st thomas's hospital opposite the palms at Westminster and he works as a mental health psychiatrist I think it's rather nice all the bad publicity the MP gets so well done Dan Poulter on the the issue itself um, I think he's quite right I think this gambling in football has crept in insidiously and it's got to that point now where they've they've stepped over a line I, I totally agree um, because the the ghastly thing about um, gambling addiction is it's invisible it's not like someone who's got a problem with alcohol who falls down there are no cries for help you can do it without anybody knowing and as a big footy fan I don't just watch Spurs I watch lots of games um, and they're doing this thing now where they have it comes on a, a gambling symbol come on for a matter of like less than a second it's like subliminal reminding you the whole time you're bombarded but with you know 10 pound free bets you know just get started now it's just it just seems to be everywhere you go all on the radio all during music shows now and and it is it destroys people's lives in the most fundamental way because it takes away all their money. I think he's right in the, in the way that the gambling companies, they've managed to make gambling like part of the part of the experience of going to a match. When I used to go to a football match, even my dad, you'd get a cup of hot bovril and <laughs> a disgusting meat pie. But now, now you, it's it's everyone at half time, you know, you're flashed up with betting, you bet. And I think it's, it's time something... And I think he's right. It should be treated like... Tobacco ads, it should, and the print and the Prince William initiative, which was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, how totally they undermined that by then doing this link up with it with this gambling company. So, um, well, look, we managed to ban uh, uh, cigarette advertising from all television, from all major sporting events. You know, Formula One used to used to survive on it. Why can't we do the same with gambling? And they do still have horrible meat pies, even at Spurs' fantastic new ground, I can tell you. Mm. Well, as a West Ham fan, there's a good cure for gambling on football. <laughs> they win so infrequently <laughs> that there's no point bet. in betting on them winning. <laughs> so, Simon, what's your topical tune this week? Well, in the week when it looks like we're going to lose Harry and Meghan to Canada... Boo-hoo. I thought we'd go to Joni Mitchell, my favourite Canadian musician, singer-songwriter from the 1970s, Woodstock hippie chick. TV screen light. I drew a map of Canada. Oh, Canada. 
and she wrote a beautiful song it's in fact called a case of you but there's there's this wonderful line about canada in it and it says i drew a map of canada oh canada with your face sketched on it twice i remember the time you told me you said love is touching souls surely you touched mine and that's for harry and megan that's beautiful, Simon. I just can't wait for the time when you actually sing these topical tunes. He's got a great voice, listeners. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for more political chat. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platell. Goodbye. Goodbye.